It's not the Zade. It's not the story. It's the Zade story. Welcome to the Zade story. Thank you. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Uh, my name is Kevin Zade, as uh, your typical host, and tonight we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Joshua Legary. Is that how you? That's how you say it, right? That's how I say it. Okay. But there are there are other people who say it differently. So entirely awesome. differently, in fact. <laughs> okay. What's the best one you've heard? Uh, Lou Gary is probably the most common, which is always surprises me because there's no U involved anywhere. <laughs> but that's a common one. Yeah. Um, Legari is is a popular pronunciation. Okay, okay. But Legari is correct. There's an air right in the middle, A-I-R. So right, that's, right. that's how I remember. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and uh, Joshua here is uh, an actual, real live movie director. It's impressive, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I know you've listened to some of our shows, but uh, we have had some guest interviews uh, and they are very real, but they sound an awful lot like terrible impersonations from our co-host, <laughs> Josh, and myself. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one time, uh, Christopher Walken – well, Chris and his brother, Topher Walken. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, so, so that's good. <laughs> but I guarantee our listeners that you are in the flesh and blood a real movie director. It's really happening over here. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, in lieu of talking about a movie, since we didn't uh, watch a movie together or have anything prepared for a recent release, I thought we would uh, actually do a small interview with you because you are a filmmaker. And uh, yeah. that would be awesome. And I'm glad to be filling the Joshua seat here yes. tonight. So that's, <laughs> that's good. Perfect. <laughs> so is this, is this technically the Zaid Legary tonight? It's, is that safe to say? You are exactly correct. Okay. <laughs> um, cool. So, what got you into filmmaking? Um, I think like a lot of kids of my generation that became filmmakers, it was the era that perfectly coincided with the release of all of these really fun 80s movies and video cameras being becoming available to the general public. I don't know what, what it was, but I swear every filmmaker that's in my generation, it's like, I saw Star Wars, I saw Indiana Jones, I saw Goonies, and also my dad had a video camera, and that's exactly my story too. Um, so just from a young age, I, I was always the kid running around with a video camera, um, filming with my friends, and every book report that was needed to be done in high school became a video. You know, we'd ask the teacher if we could shoot a video instead. And I was in a, in a punk band and a skateboarder. So we were always shooting skateboarding videos and, and shooting music videos for our band and stuff like that. And um, I hadn't intended to be a filmmaker when I grew up, I actually intended to be a punk rock touring musician. That was my, that was oh, my, wow. a, that was my a plan. Uh, B plan was to be a, a fine artist painter. Um, and then like D or C or C or D was like filmmaker that, that didn't even register. But, oh, um, wow. yeah, in high school I just started doing photography and I realized, Oh, this is much easier to capture an image with a camera than it is to paint it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and yeah. And so, and I had, I had some cool guys that were in my neighborhood. Um, there was a guy named Reed Smoot who is, uh, semi-famous cinematographer he's well known within by industry people because he was one of the first dps to ever work in the imax format oh. and he shot a lot of early imax test footage and went on to shoot a few big features in imax back in the days when they were documentaries that played at a museum or something yeah you know? i think i saw some of those at like omsi over in portland yeah yeah, that so he was that guy, and he was in uh, my neighborhood growing up, and so um, I was friends with his son. We would skateboard around, and he sh had shot a skateboarding movie called Gleaming the Cube that was one of my favorites from the 80s. Um, he was the DP on that movie, and so with Christian Slater and Tony Hawk, and those guys were all in it, and okay. so I, I thought that was so cool that he had shot Gleaming the Cube because it was my favorite movie, and so... Um, he kind of started mentoring us. He, he, uh, we were in Boy Scouts, and he did the cinematography merit badge with us. And 
I got to work on a few film sets and this is a very long answer to a really small question, <laughs> but, um, but I'm trying to copy the Kevin Zaid model here. Thank so I'm oh, just nice. talking and talking and talking <laughs> until someone cuts me off. Yes, that's exactly what I go for. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. So that kind of answers part B and C with certain directors or movies. And that's kind of, so you were more interested in the cinematography. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I was I was looking at it from an artistic perspective, and when I first started working in the industry, I worked on a bunch of really crappy, low-budget independent films um, in the art department. I worked in props and wardrobe and costumes, and to me, I was just always interested in whatever created the visual image, and so for me, being a production designer or being the uh, locations manager was awesome because I got to pick, like, this is the house, and this is the mountain and the shot, or this is the beach, and that was really exciting for me starting out um, when I started doing film stuff. And so I wanted to direct, but there's no way to work your way up to becoming a director. And I didn't realize that. I thought if I just worked in the entertainment industry long enough, I'd just get to be a director. And part of that was just being totally naive and having zero connections and <laughs> just not knowing what to do. And at a certain point, I was making good money as a production designer. And then I realized... Um, I'm never going to get to direct unless I start doing it myself. And so that's uh, when we did clean flicks. I started, I thought, okay, let's do a documentary. And that'll be a good way to start directing. Now, if I remember correctly, doing some m minute research, there was like a, a film, like a really short film about uh, the Yeti. <laughs> yeah, that was like a, something I did with a couple of my high school friends. Um, it was like a, 24 hour film festival kind of thing. Like they often, um, the festivals will do like a, you have 24 hours to make a movie. You've got five people in your group and everybody has to, that has to comprise your entire crew and cast. And so, I mean, that was a, it was just a goof thing. I, yeah. Like... Yeah. It was, it was kind of fun. Um, so clean flicks is your first directorial credit. Yeah, that's right. And it's, you're a co-director. Is that a friend of yours or, Andrew, his name's Andrew James. Um, we were not friends when we started making it. We shared a friend in the producer of the film, um, a guy named Xavier. And Xavier, Andrew and I had both worked at a video store and then left and had started working in film. And Xavier still worked at that video store. And so we'd go into the video store and, and chat about this or that, you know, and he'd ask questions like, what's it like working on a movie set, you know? And he was the one that kept prompting me, um, you really should make a movie about clean flicks. You really should make a movie about clean flicks. And I thought, that's, that's not interesting to an outside audience. Only people in this culture will get that, not not the rest of the world, you know. And then I went and I saw um, Kirby Dick's movie, this film was not yet rated. And I saw that in theaters. And when I saw that movie, I thought, okay, if he can make a movie about the MPAA... <laughs> I could definitely make a movie about clean flicks. So I went straight back to the video store and I grabbed Xavier and I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's make this clean flicks movie. Oh, that is a great story. And, and, I... and he, well, the, the really quick thing with that is he had also been talking to Andrew. He's like, well, I actually have been talking to someone else about it this whole time too. <laughs> His name's Andrew and you guys should meet. So we met and had lunch and then we were making the movie the next day. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, this film is not yet rated is, uh, is one of the ones that I was going to uh, compare to Clean Flicks when we talk okay. about that a little bit later. Yeah. Cool. So you're a doc documentary filmmaker. Is that is that like your your heart and soul? You love documentaries, or do you see yourself making non-documentary type films in the future? Um, I think I am going to continue to always do document I Werner Herzog to me is like the epitome of what I would like to do with my career I, I would like to be able to dabble in fiction whenever I want but kind of be at my heart a documentarian and that's that's kind of the goal for me so yeah I, I, I have fictional projects that I'm interested in doing and um, you know I, I worked on movie crews for years um, on fictional projects before I did documentary so but I love documentary and I love I'm very um kind of committed to the idea uh, behind documentary because for me, it's just getting the window into a, another part of our world that you normally wouldn't get to see. And I think um, 
that to me is really exciting and far more interesting than anything somebody could kind of make up. Yeah, it's like fiction brings in a whole world that's made up when there's things like clean flicks that is super interesting but people don't understand is part of our world that's a that's an interesting i'm really interested in um real human drama and so when i first became like a cinephile i was really into like indie dramas and indie dramedies and um because I, I really liked that kind of gritty feel that they had. Um, and then as I discovered documentary more and more, I became less and less interested in just regular drama. And now it's weird because it's pushed my other interests really far into genre. Like I'm really into genre films, noir and horror and things like that that are that are more fanciful, like fantasy-based stuff is more compelling to me in a fictional format. And then... If I'm going to go for realism, I want to go to documentary. Interesting. I could see how that makes sense, though. But, yeah, you uh, you do a, a horror movie podcast. That's yeah. correct, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I do not love horror films. So I got that from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't listen to that one, but uh, – but yeah, okay, that's awesome. You should give it a give us a try sometime because I think um, depending on what you're interested in, your interests are. I think um, we have. I think personally, I think interesting in depth conversations more about ideas and themes and topics rather than just the blood and gut stuff. You know, like it's it's usually about an idea and teasing that out, and that's to me what I really enjoy. Do you guys have a bear horror episode yeah right yeah i I, that was one i was interested in because uh i heard your uh review of flow plus something in a flow plus something on your uh streamcast review oh right yeah oh yeah oh vic and flow saw bear yes that one and that that's that film sounded interesting and then i heard you guys on movie podcast talking about the revenant with the yeah. bear attack, and so I thought I might check out your bear movie. It's fun. <laughs> okay. It's fun for those long drives. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. How do you pick your film subjects? Um, to me, I just try to find a story that is I find really compelling that nobody else is telling. And so um, when I first started out, docu- it was kind of like Wild West of documentary. It had kind of been broken wide open by – mostly by Michael Moore, but there were another, a lot of other films right around the time Bowling for Columbine that came out that were these big hits like Spellbound. And so, um, I don't know, documentary was just really easy to kind of get in front of people's eyes at that time. It was kind of the high point for documentary, actually. And um, what I realized is any big issue that I was interested in covering was already being done by someone with a lot more money than me, (laughs) a lot more resources. And so I decided, I mean, that's why Clean Flicks was a perfect fit for me because it was my local area. I had some kind of connection to it that nobody else could get. And so that's kind of what I look for is a story that I find super compelling that nobody else is going to be able to get to uh, before me um, because they take a long time. Like, Every film I've worked on has taken like three plus years to make, and so. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. That's a long time. And so, is this your only occupation then? Yeah, I've been doing this full time since, um, probably a month or two before Clean Flicks premiered at Toronto, um, and yeah, since that time I've been doing this full time. Wow, that's awesome though, that you get to do what you yeah. love for a living. It's kind of one of those Hollywood things where um, you'll find someone that's been a screenwriter for 20 years and nothing nothing of theirs has ever been made. And you're like, how do you exist? And they're just like, yeah, I I take studio assignments and then the movies disappear into turnaround, but they get paid. And it's almost what my career has been like doing documentary. Like I'll be hired to do or like we took a we took a series to the National Geographic Channel and we did one season. And then they were like, we like this. It's not right for a demographic. We're going to air it as a miniseries. And it just like aired and then disappeared, you know? And that's like, and it's like, it's cool. You get paid, but then your work never is really seen by anybody. I've made two or three feature length documentaries since Clean Flicks 
that are just in different stages of limbo right now. So I don't know. It's been it's been a weird kind of experience, but um, I've been getting paid, so that's that's oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting to me that I I wouldn't have from someone who's not in the industry. That's that's an interesting thought to hear because on your IMDb page it's clean flicks, and then there's some some movies in there without dates and then Gutbuster, which we'll get into here in a second. So Yeah, those movies without dates are the ones I'm referring to. Right, <laughs> yeah. And kind of, they just kind of are floating in there somewhere. But they're done. They're just waiting for like a like a uh They all have different situations. So there's one that's not even on IMDB that I shot in Alaska. Um took me like two years to shoot. And um it's it's owned by a nonprofit organization and the way they want to distribute it is just within their organization to begin with. And so I own the, the United States distribution rights outside of Alaska, but they have the right to distribute it how they wish first. And so it's just kind of like when they're done with it, then I'll do film festivals and stuff. But right okay. now it just doesn't exist. And then uh, another show I did another movie um, I did with a television network and it's kind of a similar thing. Like they own the rights to it technically and so I can't do anything with it until they want to. And so it's it's like petitioning them to release it. Even with CleanFlix, it's crazy, dude. Like, our, we have a really bad distributor for CleanFlix. And so people contact me once a week and they're like, hey, I really want to watch your movie. How do I get it? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, our distributor will, does not – like, Amazon has contacted us for DVDs and he has not sent them to them. Or, um, you know, it's like it was on Netflix for three years and then – we never send them discs. And so when our uh, deal with them lapsed, like they didn't have any discs on hand for the DVD system. And also our distribution deal had lapsed for whoever handled the digital rights. And so just the movie doesn't exist as far as Netflix is concerned. So I think oh, it's wow. still on iTunes and I know you can watch it on Vimeo streaming um, but it's just, it's just crazy. Like it, it's really hard as an independent filmmaker to, um, get your stuff solid, like out there in a, in a really strong way. So now, it's, it's crazy. Now this is a question I didn't write down, but, uh, so if you had an opportunity to continue making documentary films or just films in general, but, you lost the opportunity to make money doing it. Uh, let's say your family would be provided for, but you wouldn't. You wouldn't make money doing it. Would you still make movies? Oh yeah, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I definitely. There are easier ways to make art. It's funny because I kind of, kind of come back around. Like now, I think I've got friends who are painters, and I'm like, wow to just be left to yourself and get to create your art and not have to have a hundred crew members and like an okay from a studio or from a nonprofit or whatever to like be able to make your movie. That sounds really great to make mm. your art that way. But um, yeah, I love making, I love making them and making them is my favorite part um, because I do that more than release them. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoy making them. Well, that's probably a good thing since it sounds like it's a crazy turnaround for that. Yeah. And I like, and I, you know, I've been on so many fun adventures all over the world and just to get to do that has been a blast. Oh, sure. That's kind of like the TV show Amazing Race, like just, totally. just to go, <laughs> you know, I could, I would pay almost to go. <laughs> I wouldn't oh, have yeah. to worry about winning. Like that's just a crazy adventure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like we, I just got to go to, um, St. Vincent and the Grenadines in Barbados right before Christmas this last year. And it's just like I never in my life thought I would be down there doing anything, let alone getting paid to be down there doing something, you know. And so I don't know. It's it's that is priceless. Yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. So Gutbuster, it says it has a it it got released on January twenty third. Where did it get released? Does it say that? Where does it say that? Oh, well, on IMDb. Oh no, that's that's not correct. Okay. <laughs> so is it out yet? It's it's not available yet then? Uh Gus Gutbuster will be coming out this year probably for sure. It's still in post production. Um I think the Los Angeles Film Festival maybe is something we're looking at, but um yeah, it's not it hasn't been released yet. Okay, okay. So 
how did you do you know Dave Stone? You said that it's you, you kind of pick subjects that are interesting to you that kind of you have access to. Yeah, well, so that that is true with my passion projects, and then there's another sort of project which are work for hires, and um, Gutbuster was one such situation. That was a that was a project that was brought to me, um, and they wanted to make a health food documentary because they said, you know, what's really popular right now are these movies like Fed Up and um, Sick, Fat, and Nearly Dead, and and stuff like that. We want to make a health food documentary, and I said. That sounds really boring to me, and I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to interview all of the same uh, doctors and health experts that are in every other health food documentary movie. So I said, "What if we had an excuse to be on the road and be organically going from city to city, and then we meet those people along the way?" And so I devised this idea, and I thought, "Okay, we'll get a rock band or something." And then I thought, "Okay, stand up comedian. That will be cool because." It kind of can be like an episode of Louie or Seinfeld where you see their day-to-day routine, like they're talking with these health experts or a farmer or whatever, and then at night they're on stage making jokes about the stuff that they've been talking about all day. And I said that would be a format for a health food documentary that I would be really into. And so that's what we did. We we found this comedian, Dave Stone, who I just thought was really funny. I I found him online. Um, He had been – well, a different comedian actually had been recommended to me by a friend of mine who's a, a comedian talent agent, and she had recommended this other comic, and I was watching his clips online, but um, Dave's video kept popping up on the right-hand sidebar, and it was called Fat Vegetarian, <laughs> and and it, every video I watched, it would just I would just see Dave Stone pop up on the right, Fat Vegetarian, I'm like, I gotta watch that clip, and I just thought he was so much funnier than the guy who was more popular, the other guy was more famous, but I just thought Dave was a lot funnier, and so um, we offered him the part or the you know the film, and that's what we did. We just toured around with him, doing a stand-up tour and kind of interviewing all the usual suspects, but getting a, to meet a lot of really funny comedians, and just going a lot of. We went across the entire United States. Uh, we went to Hawaii twice, and um, it was an awesome year and a half of my life. Yeah, no kidding. So yeah, and so that's what that was. And so yeah, that was more of a that was a work for hire thing. It wasn't exactly a passion project, but Okay. Cool. That's The movies I hope people will watch out for, the two that I'm most passionate about are called Skeleton Picnic and Plan 241, and I'm not sure when either of those will be released, but those are films that I care about way more than I even cared about Clean Flicks. Um I think they're topics that are very um interesting i think for me personally so can you give us a a little bit about what what they're about a skeleton picnic is about um an fbi raid on a small town on the border of utah new mexico where people in this town were going out to the native american ruins behind their uh their little town and digging up native artifacts and selling them on the black market they're basically grave grave robbers yeah. Um, and selling, you know, these Native American artifacts, which were outlawed uh, by the federal government, um, and selling them on the black market. And there was this huge FBI sting operation, but also there's a, a supposed curse on some of these artifacts. And a right. lot of the people who had been stealing them started dying, um, including an undercover FBI agent died. Um, and a lot of the people in that area believe it was because of this curse. Um, so that that's skeleton picnic and skeleton picnic is a term that they used to use for these back, even like as far back as the fifties, these families would go out on Sunday, have a little picnic and dig up a pot or dig up an arrowhead or dig it, you know, and, and then take it home. And, and they have these amazing collections that are worth millions upon millions of dollars, um, in this little town. So that's skeleton picnic. That sounds awesome yeah that, that was a lot of fun plan 241 is a film about um again the fbi is involved this is about some guys in alaska who have a militia and are kind of these goobery guys who who they have they're high, they have these high-minded libertarian ideals and they you know they they're all based around like constitution and all these things. But um, 
they start talking really revolutionary talk and they end up getting in a lot of trouble from the federal government. Um, and, and again, there's another FBI sting operation surrounding these guys. Um, and they are charged with conspiracy to murder federal agents um, and go to prison. And it's an interesting case about the line between free speech and terrorism um, because they didn't actually do anything. They talked a lot of talk that they probably shouldn't have been talking, <laughs> but they they didn't actually commit any – well, that's the question. Did they commit a crime? They didn't actually physically do anything. Right. And so um, it, some really odd, interesting characters in that uh, story, but it's kind so, of centered around this Alaska militia. So what it sounds like is your next project will be a Malheur – Oregon FBI takeover <laughs> documentary. That would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> I would watch it. <laughs> um, Not well, getting it within many, many miles of those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in Salem, so I'm safe. Don't worry. <laughs> cool. That's kind of a. Oh, I guess. Uh, I guess two more questions. It's kind of a A and B question, but uh. Being a filmmaker, does it affect the way you watch or enjoy movies? And then the flip side of that is, how does being a film watcher affect the way you make your films? Hmm, that's an interesting question. So uh, the first question, I think, it really affected me a lot when I was started working on crews. Um, when I first started crewing, all I could see was um, the artifice. Because I was working in props, I was working in wardrobe, I was working in um, locations and set design. And so I was really hyper aware of all that stuff. And as I've started directing, I've act it's actually – it affects me less and less because now I'm so focused on story um, that I'm really trying to kind of let the story wash over me more. And um, I think I don't notice those things as much. I think – Funnily enough, podcasting actually um, affects me more than being a filmmaker because I'm I'm watching the films usually to review them um, right. on the podcast. And so I'm saying like, OK, well, how was this performance? How was the cinematography? How was the sound design? How was the CGI? And that, those are the things that pull me out of the movie more is if I have to review a film for a podcast. That's funny. My wife and I were just watching a, a movie. I don't remember what it was, but I was like. I came out of it thinking, you know, like how I would talk about the show. And my wife was like, it wasn't a very believable story. And I was like, well, yeah, the story wasn't important, though. It was the, <laughs> the direction, the, the performance, you know, believability yeah. has nothing to, you know, like it kind of took me back what you just said there. It's like <laughs> when you're watching it to talk about it in that aspect, it kind of changes the way you watch it. Definitely. Definitely does. And then the second part, what was that? How does being a film viewer um, affect the filmmaking? It hasn't that much yet. I think um, I think we made a few mistakes with Clean Flicks that I really regret, and that was chasing trends. Um, I think we were trying to be really current and modern when we made the film, but the movies took so long to be made. It took us three years to make it, and then another three years before we got really wide distribution um, that now you're dealing with trends that are six years old. And oh, so right. it doesn't, if not, not only does it not feel current, it feels dated and weird, uh, to a lot of people. Uh, now we're getting far enough away from it that I think it just feels like a time capsule, which I'm okay with that more yes. <laughs> than when it first came out feeling like, kind of cringing at like some of the aesthetics. Um, but yeah, I think, um, as a filmmaker, the best thing, especially in documentary, I think you can do is just try to be classic and honest and do your own thing and not and really reject kind of um, what else is happening in the film world. Uh, that's how I feel about documentary. With fiction, I haven't really made a mark yet, but I, I have been working on several screenplays and things that I'm hoping to do. And that I... I'm being actually hyper vigilant about making sure that I'm not repeating anything um, genre wise. So I'm like, if I, let's say I was writing a zombie movie, I'm not, but I'm really making sure I know every zombie movie and making sure I'm not doing anything else that anybody did in the exact same way so that I'm not being repetitive. So I don't know that's, it's changed that a little bit. Right. 
Okay. Great. That's awesome. Well, uh, cool. I was going to ask you some podcasting questions, but I think uh, you kind of answered most of them. Sorry, I talk a lot. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Uh, my last question that isn't about clean flicks. Uh, if I remember right, you're not that into the Oscars, correct? Um, I don't. I don't mind the Oscars. I think they miss a lot of the best movies, and I think um, it's very, you know, the complaints everybody has. It's very political. They don't always choose the best film. I like them. I'm not as like. Some of my co-hosts, like Jason Piles, who I do a couple podcasts with, is obsessed with the Oscars. Right. <laughs> and so I, I'm not at, at where he is. Um, but, you know, I heard about the challenge you guys are doing where you're going to watch all of the Best Picture nominees. Mm -hmm. All the Best Picture. Like, that sounds awesome to me. I'm, in, I'm into that. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, have, you, or have, you, have you seen any of the Best Picture nominees yet? I'm sure you've seen Revenant. <laughs> I have seen Revenant. It's funny that you say that right after. I have no idea what's nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> I can't even tell you. Um, I don't – probably not. Uh, Spotlight? Oh, Spotlight's excellent. I okay. love it. Spotlight is right now my pick that if it's if it doesn't win, it's the one that should have won. Yeah. Uh, and then the only one that my wife and I have left is Brooklyn. Did you see Brooklyn? I have not seen Brooklyn, no. Okay. And then uh, The Martian, which came out quite a while ago. That's good, yeah. yeah I, I wasn't as quite as crazy about that as everybody else, but I it was impressive and a lot of fun. Now, as a filmmaker, I'm very curious to see what you say about Bridge of Spies. Have you seen that one? I hated Bridge of Spies. <laughs> I thought it was so boring. It was long and boring. It was brutal. And, I, and I'm really into politics, too, and I just, mm. I just felt like they – blew it and i don't know why i cannot understand why people like it so much i was on another podcast recently and the hosts all had loved bridge of spies and i said why are you talking about those sucked and then it, <laughs> then it got nominated for best picture i was like wow i guess maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm outside <laughs> i guess that speaks to how each movie hits people different i guess yeah no like hail caesar interestingly like i recently i loved hail caesar and people hate that movie so um, you know, everybody's different, I guess. And your own biases are playing into that too. Obviously. Sure, sure. I I think we might hit Deadpool before we hit Hail Caesar, but that's definitely on my list to uh see. The Deadpool's definitely much more uh beloved by audiences. That's right. <laughs> uh Okay, so cool. Let's uh let's talk a bit about Clean Flicks. I know you've gone over some of it. Uh so you are a punk rocker? That's my background. <laughs> that was my high school self, for sure. Was that where the movie comes in with that song, Sex and Violence? Absolutely. Was yeah. that your band? <laughs> oh, no. That's that's a, fam that's a famous band called The Exploited, and that's one of their like big hits from the 80s. Okay, because it was awesome. What a great way to bring you into that. <laughs> uh, so first question about Clean Flicks is uh, you live in Utah, correct? That's or correct. Did you grow up there? Um, I grew up all over the West, um, Hawaii, California, Idaho. Um, I have family in Oregon, spent a lot of time in Oregon actually. Um, but no, I, yeah, I kind of like came to Utah in high school and then I left and lived in Europe for a while and now I'm back in Utah okay. where I'm raising my family. Right. So did you watch clean flicks growing up? No, 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 no. Okay. I, I am not into that. <laughs> <laughs> is, is your family religious? Um, yeah, my, uh, my family was mostly Mormon. Um, I personally, uh, am more liberal than a lot of the people around here. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so r real quick, a, a real short rundown. Down, 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 down. Forsake your sins. Don't see R-rated movies, and go no more after the lust of your eyes. For the mind through which this filth passes is never the same afterwards. Clean Flicks is uh, about a business in Utah that's run by a Mormon, not the Mormons, right? It's just, he was just... 
yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's certainly not an official church thing, but it right. but it grows from a church teaching, and so that's where the kind of confusion comes in. I guess about not watching R-rated movies. Correct. And so people would buy DVDs and send them to this guy who uh, would cut out the profanity and the nudity and gore. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, the sexuality, um, vulgar language. And then resell this to conservative um, audiences. And he was pretty successful doing that in Utah. And then it started to grow and grow uh, across the United States, largely in the Bible Belt, um, also within school and prison systems. So it was it was on track to become a very profitable business. Right. And uh, so that's that's what the documentary is about. It's about the, the man who runs it and then just the, the phenomenon that was clean flicks right that's true yeah i I think it takes a twist um toward the middle of the film but yeah basically what happens is the directors guild of america um decides that they're not going to allow this to go on anymore so there's a huge lawsuit between you know steven spielberg robert redford martin scorsese uh and these little mom and pop stores in utah and that's kind of that was that's kind of the starting point of the film is that uh, conflict. What we found interesting was that um, the courts shut clean flicks down. And then what we found most interesting is that once the, once they were shut down, a group of people basically decide as a, decide as a form of civil disobedience that they're going to continue doing it anyway. And so that to, to us, that was the heart of the story, but we couldn't kind of get to that without, um, all of the setup of what had come before. Yeah, right. And uh, so it, it there's a couple of different twists in the film. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to ruin it for the people who haven't seen that yet. Uh, so that's that's about enough. Yeah, they're 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 pretty shocking. Like people who are are going in with a clean slate are usually very surprised by the twists in the movie. Like it's, it's a pretty fun ride. I think if, uh, if you don't do any research about it going in. Right. Right. Uh, I watched this movie on Netflix when it was on the streaming Netflix. Okay. Yep. Uh, long before I listened to movie podcast weekly. Okay. So when I listened to movie podcast weekly and found out that you were the director, I thought that was kind of cool since that's funny. I'd actually watched clean flicks long before I'd listened to <laughs> the podcast. So that was kind of cool. Uh, so as we do here on the Zade story, we do a favorite part and a least favorite part. And I know this is like asking you which of your children you love the most, <laughs> but if, <laughs> if, if you were to say your favorite part, what would you say is your favorite part of clean flicks? Um, they're both twists. So I don't, um, okay. Sh- one of them is a, a big reveal about the nature of two of the guys we've been following for the most for most of the film, and it's done with um, at the time for us, you know, it was it was we're having no money and you know no we're no no real tools to do like the kind of um, collage of news reports and newspapers and after effects, it was a really fun thing for us to kind of deliver that part of the film. And that was my favorite moment. Um, I just really liked the music and I really like the effects there. Um, I, to be honest, I haven't watched it in several years, so I don't sure, know that sure. I don't know that they hold up now. Yeah. <laughs> they seemed really good to me at the time, and I really, um, really enjoyed that. My least favorite part is a uh, has to do with uh, that same guy, but it's something his girl, his ex girlfriend, says about him, and I've always regretted putting her statement in the film because mm-hmm. although it does relate to his character, I do feel like it's the one weak point of our argument that this is just about the story of clean flicks. I think it delves into the personal a little more than I feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you remember her quote that she says, but it always gets like a big like laugh and like gasp from the audience when she says it. And, um, and as 
satisfying as that should be, I always regret it. Like I'm like, dang it, that's that was the step too far. Like yes, that. I I understand. <laughs> I uh, I was the one that gasp laughed so i enjoyed it but <laughs> i like it too. it's funny but yeah yeah from your from your perspective i do see how that does kind of it tilts the angle of the gun a little bit yeah and there you know we had some like people are always like how did daniel not murder you guys when this movie came out it's because we had so much stuff that we didn't use because we deemed it too personal and not um not reflecting on the story we were telling it reflects more on him as a character, but he's also a real person. And so we had to kind of draw the line between um, what his character was contributing to the story we were trying to tell and just like an expose on one person, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. If I, uh, if I were to say my favorite part is, uh, it is a really exciting documentary about kind of a boring subject. Yeah. If if I mean, it's obviously not boring to you, but the movie is not boring at all. It's fascinating, and uh, watching it, you know, obviously without knowing you, I would, I had no different, uh, no different experience. It was it was yeah. so exciting to watch. Uh, now I'm an industry kind of person. I love watching, you know, exit through the gift shop. Uh, what what was that one we were talking about? The uh, this uh, film is not yet rated. Yeah, yeah that that movie I watched right around the same time as uh, as I watched Clean Flicks, and so that kind of story just really gets to me. But uh, I found your film twice as fascinating and and definitely more fun than this film is not yet rated. And to me, it was really pretty much the same type of subject you know oh wow thank you yeah uh, that, that means a lot yeah it's i love it when you can you can feel your heart racing when there's no action yeah you know and there's like, there's no action <laughs> yeah you know when you watch a movie like mad max you expect right. your heart to be racing the whole time because it's pure action 100 percent of the time yeah and so when you can get that same emotion out of uh out of a film that doesn't have any sort of those effects or uh, action, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, and and it's you're right. Like the vi the on screen visuals are video stores and movie like <laughs> case covers and posters and uh, you know things that aren't necessarily you know like the sign on the outside of a video store isn't. Like uh, inherently interesting by any right. means. Well, what makes it interesting is the actions these people are taking. Getting to know the ins and outs of the culture, I think, to me, is one of the more exciting ideas. And um, I don't know, it does kind of unravel in a in a fun way. I think too. Uh, I started watching it again in preparation. I did not get to finish it uh, today, but uh, there was. Where did, where did you find it, by the way? It's available on iTunes, yeah. Okay. So I, I rented it on iTunes. Uh, but my least favorite part, and yep. this is this is awkward since you're the guy who made it. <laughs> no, it's, listen, I've got lots of least favorite parts. Sure. But uh, I'd have to say my least favorite part is uh, the text on the screen. Yeah. But it's it's hard to get all that information without – without the text. So it's, it's a lot of info. Like, I, and that was something we struggled with. Like at the time this film came out, the lamest thing you could possibly, this is kind of an example of chasing trends. Like the least cool thing you could do as a documentarian was have voiceover. And so we were like, we will not have voiceover. And so we were, we were trying to be very verite and allow our characters to tell the story themselves. But then our movie was way too long. And we got to this point where we were like, man, we could cut 20 minutes out of the movie if we just take this by the reins and tell the things quickly that we don't care about. So it was always like very expositional every time that there was text. And we're like, if we could just get rid of the exposition, we can cut 20 minutes out and then we can leave the character stuff in. And that, I mean, it was a choice that I regret from time to time. Um, there are a few other documentaries. Interesting. I don't know if you saw the documentary dinosaur 13, but no, that just came out a cup like, couple years ago or so yeah like right? a year and a half ago yeah, yeah they we those guys saw clean flicks and 
liked that and copied it for their movie. Um, so I don't know, like it's hard, I think as a documentary filmmaker to tell the story quickly. Um, if it's this dense, like there, there was so much to get through for our film. Oh, absolutely. And like people always say like, why don't you just make this two movies? You could have made two movies with (laughs) the content and then you wouldn't have to do it. And it's just like, yeah, but does anybody really want, like I would watch two clean flicks movies, but most people (laughs) aren't going to watch two clean flicks movies. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like with all this trouble with, dispersing the material does to make it harder or easier to get that out you're absolutely fair like that's a very good criticism and um i yeah there's i just don't know the way around it that's one of those things like i was not and probably still am not uh, skilled enough to get around that complaint well and it's it's less of a complaint than it is just you know i always tell josh you got to pick one thing you know, that could yeah. have been better. Not that it's ever necessarily always bad. It's just, no, look, look, that's, change. that's a, com- I mean, it's a common complaint. We, we've had that complaint quite a bit. No one's ever said it to me. Like no one's been rude enough to say it to my face. Yeah. Like, like I did, <laughs> <laughs> but that's definitely like in the comments on Netflix and stuff, like people complaining about that for sure. Um, well, it didn't take away from me. In fact, there was one that I, did write down that I just really loved partially because of the subject matter and partially just because of the, the title it's, I think it's chapter two and it says flesh and blood. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's just so like, yeah, just, it sounds gritty, especially because what we're talking about in the subject matter, it, it just fit perfectly. So, and there's a, there's a good compliment on text. Cause that was awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, now we won't rate Clean Flicks because you made it, and I've already insulted it. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly, that is fun. There, I have so many complaints with the movie. I would not even release it now. Like, if you were like, "Do you want to make some changes to this?" I'd be like, "Let's just box it up. No one oh, needs." Oh, I I think it's better than that. Okay. I'm just <laughs> saying it's it's hard to live with your mistakes in life and um, usually they're not on display for people to rent for 6.99 or whatever. Right. <laughs> um cool. I did not know you had that music background. So that was kind of one of my questions about how you picked the music in the films. Yeah, um so Clean Flicks this was um we you know there was that song we really wanted from the exploited the music the other music that's another thing people come people hate the score or love it like people that have either been like requesting to buy the score or they're like that was the worst part of your movie was the score and so i there's part of me that's like okay well that's a that's something i can live with being kind of in that middle ground of uh nobody's happy with it but right uh, right uh is it just music that you found online or no, so the rest of that, sorry, is one artist. His name's Chris O'Ran. And um, he was in a band that was kind of early, early on in that kind of um, electro, you know, eighties throwback music, eight bit kind of stuff. And he had been on tour with um, bands like the used and my chemical romance. And I just knew him from um, the local music scene. And he really wanted to get into writing scores and so um, I've worked with him many times since then, and he's done work that's unrecognizable from the stuff he did in Clean Flicks, but Clean Flicks is very similar to the music he did in his band. And his band was called Mr. Fusion and the Flux Capacitor. Um, you can find them on Facebook, and you can get a download of their album for free. But um, that that's kind of just this electro-pop music. Okay. It, I like it a lot, and I think it Good. actually uh, – fits right into your description of uh does it work as a time capsule now like yeah i yeah, think and, it really does one thing that guided that is we had shepherd fairy was going to do our poster um when we first made the film and um we were making it we had contacted shepherd he had only done as far as i know one other movie poster which was walk the line mm-hmm. um and he was really excited about clean flicks but it took us you know the three years to make it and by the time we finished the movie Obama had been elected president. He had done the hope poster and was now such a huge name that we couldn't afford him. And it went from, um, so, so we had designed all of the visual graphics and kind of that propaganda style 
that um, felt really cutting edge when we did it and just feels so dated now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was all because Shepard Ferry was going to do our poster. And so we were designing all of our kind of aesthetic around kind of around Shepard. Like, you know, he's right. kind of comes from a punk rock background too. And so we were finding this kind of electro music and we used all of these propaganda graphics and we felt like the propaganda angle really worked with the film because there seemed to be to us between the Mormon church and the clean flicks corporation and Hollywood. Like it was really an intersection of this propaganda and really people not talking about the real issues kind of at play. Yeah. Yeah. That I like the poster. Well, at least it looks like the poster on iTunes. It, it looks yeah. exactly like you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but you know those graphics within the film, like where there's like the sun rays and all that kind of stuff? Yes. That was all kind of tied to that right. very aesthetic. Hmm. Very cool. Well, hey, I really appreciate this. This was uh, eye-opening and really cool. Uh, thank you for coming. Yeah. It's um, fun to just sit and talk about yourself for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where, so we've got Gus, Gutbuster coming up. We got Skeleton, Picnic, and Plan 241. Yeah. Uh, Gutbuster is going to be the first thing that comes out. And then, um, probably that other nonprofit documentary I talked about in Alaska. Yeah. Right now, right now it's called Near the Bear, but I don't think that's what the title is going to be. So both of those are not passion projects. Those were my work for hire films. But definitely keep an eye out for Plan 241 and Skeleton Picnic in probably like two years. Now. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, there was a what, uh, Jason was talking about a film magazine named you as the top documentary filmmaker to look forward to, or is oh, um, I don't know. I was in Filmmaker Magazine this last year. They did a feature on me. Um, a couple podcasts did. I think Film Vault podcast called me one of the top five up-and-coming filmmakers. And then um, one cool thing is the Adam Carolla podcast talked about Clean Flicks like two weeks ago. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and they they gave a really great positive review about the film. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's definitely worth watching. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I think, uh, I think I'm really excited about this Skeleton Picnic and Plan 241. Those – those kinds of things are up my alley just as well as movie type documentaries. Um, You'll have to tell me what you don't like about horror movies, and then I'll try to make mine watchable for you. Like I'll try <laughs> to I'll try to massage it so that it's to your liking. Well, maybe I could just send it to Clean Fix. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you want to plug anything else that you're doing? Your podcasts with your wife or? Yeah, I mean, if people here like podcasts, which I, I'm guessing they do, um, and you're not totally sick, I mean, usually don't talk about myself this much. <laughs> I am a, I'm a, I'm awful name dropper and stuff, but at least I don't talk about myself quite this much. Um, I'm on uh, a podcast called Movie Streamcast. I do do it with my wife and a few other um, hosts now as well, and we cover th movies that are currently streaming online every week. We just talk about another movie and some TV and stuff that's streaming. And those are really short podcasts. We aim for like a 15-minute episode. And then our horror movie podcasts are much longer. They're like three-hour episodes. And we delve into um, ideas and topics like I mentioned before. Like we have one called like the Horrors of Consumerism. It was our Black Friday episode. And we talked about consumerism with relation to uh, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and stuff. And that was a lot of fun. We do things like that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also a producer on the sci-fi podcast and that is, as, as the name mentions, a, a sci-fi podcast. And I'm on that one occasionally as a guest host, but I mostly just record and produce that podcast. Okay. I was curious what, what, so you did, when you say produce, you mean like you edit it or. Yeah. Like I record it for them. I help plan the episodes. Um, I do the artwork and like the, the website stuff and yeah, and I edit the episodes and okay. put, all, put all the music and stuff like that. in. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again so much. If, uh, if you wanted to say our tagline for the love of movies and beer, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, uh, Get on out of here. Uh, my name is Kevin Zaid for the Zaid story. And oh, you know one thing I'd like to tell your audience. Oh, I know yeah. it's too late. Nope. But um, if people want 
to get a copy of Cleanflex on DVD, just to contact me on Twitter at Icarus Arts, and I will figure out a way to get you a copy. And I'd love to send you a copy too, because the DVD is really cool. Actually, it's got the original version. It's also got a clean version of the documentary, oh. and it's got a commentary and a bunch of deleted scenes and stuff. So if, if anybody wants one, um, I know I don't know if Amazon has them, but I have got a bunch. So uh, I definitely want one because I've told my dad and brother about this a long time ago, and I don't know if they ever watched it, but uh, I would watch it again too. So I would okay. love one. That would be awesome. Well, send me a message with your address, and I'll send one to you. Wow, cool. Look at that. An interview and a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> cool. As my friend Josh, the other Josh, always says, one of the best compliments you can give us is tell your friends about us, both in person and on the line. So if you wanted to uh, give us a shout-out, that'd be great. Uh, but really, just thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, for the love of movies and beer. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Joshua. This was really, really cool. That was awesome. Thank you. It's not the Zade. It's not the story. It's the Zade story. Hello? Hello. Are you there? Hello? Hello, hello. I cannot hear you. Oh, how, about, how, how about now? Now I can hear you. Okay. How are you doing? <laughs> How's it going? Oh, it's going really good. It's really good. My name's Kevin. Hey, Kevin. It's, it's nice to meet you. Yes. Uh, thanks for calling. Yeah. Uh, really Sorry excited. it took me so long. I uh, I got a new phone, and I, I usually have my Twitter um, notifications on my phone, but I had not turned those on, so... I kept forgetting to check it, and uh, <laughs> oh, that's all right. I'm just excited yeah, well, that you uh, that you answered. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, well, this is actually my very first time using Skype as well. So that's, that's... a good. That's good. That's a good sign. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, so uh, we're doing a podcast, uh, much because of you and your friends at Movie Podcast Weekly. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I started driving a oxygen tank truck around Oregon, and so I started listening to podcasts because the radio gets mind-numbingly boring after about three days on the road. So, Right. So, yeah, I started uh, listening to podcasts, and uh, movies is one of my favorite passions, and so I stumbled upon – the aptly titled movie podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so we hooked. do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, cool. So, uh, let's see. I, uh, I don't, I don't know. Have you listened to any of the Zade story? Yes, I have. I, um, I, not as much as I should have, but I, okay. The fact that you listened at all is exciting. <laughs> I listened to, let me see what I listened to here. I listened to Furious Hosts, number two. Yep. <laughs> I started listening to Lions, Tigers, and something, but I didn't finish that one. Okay. I listened to the Trainwreck episode. Excellent. I listened to the Christmas episode, the um, the night before, or the, whatever that movie was. Right, yep. And I started listening to uh, the Revenant episode. Okay, okay. So I've got, I got a little bit in there. Well, yeah, and that's uh, that's awesome because episode two we were using some different mics, so hopefully you noticed some yeah. sound quality improvement. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I didn't. I it varied because I just whatever I happened to be doing, you know, driving somewhere, or whatever. I didn't. I didn't hear the entire length of each of them, so I know you guys do games and segments at the end, but I didn't hear all of them. I, I've heard some of the games you guys do and stuff, but I haven't. I'm not familiar enough to like. Right, that's that's okay. I uh, I we we kind of do games on the spot, so if, okay. If uh, if we get to one, that'd be great. If not, that's totally cool. I actually have. Uh, I wasn't sure what you. Uh, we're expecting or how long you would have 
I wasn't sure what to expect either. I had tweeted you earlier today if you wanted me to prepare anything, but I didn't hear uh, back from you on that. So I did not prepare anything. But I know your show's not really, at least the episodes I've heard, are not the kind like Movie Podcast Weekly where we just talk about movie news and what we've been watching lately and stuff as much. You guys kind of get into the one review, and then you do your fun stuff at the end. If I'm, Is that that's, fair to say? That's correct. Uh I did not see that tweet. I'll have to. Check no worries. That out. <laughs> no worries. Um, cool. So, uh, so what I did prepare was uh, I have about ten questions for okay. you. If if you're comfortable with that. Whatever you want, man. And, and then I thought we might get into some clean flicks stuff. Okay. Cool. Uh, cool. So, uh, 